I'm Chris Gerboth, and this is American Storyteller. Amy Teresa is an independent writer, actor, and producer who works across genres. In this episode, we're going to hear what goes into making not only an independent TV or film project, but what goes into making the kind of person who has the tenacity to pull it all off. Did you puke? No, I did not. Ah, you made coffee. Good girl, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did do that. This is exactly what we need right now. That's the opening scene from the short film Something Borrowed, written and produced by Amy Teresa. We're going to go into your creative projects in a few minutes, but let's start at the beginning. Tell me about your hometown. Okay, I grew up outside of Philadelphia in Drexel Hill, PA. I uh, went to Catholic school <laughs> for um, pretty much all of my grade school and then all of my high school. Um, I don't know. I guess it was fine. My mom and dad were um, together with uh, my sister, we were pretty close. We always did a lot of stuff together. My parents were always pretty supportive of you know, anything we wanted to do. They let, let us try different things. Um, we took a lot of family vacations when we could. We used to go down the shore. Uh, they always involved us in everything, which was really cool. Like my, um, I remember my, my, my dad passed away like recently, two years ago. And um, my mom always used to say that he never really wanted to go anywhere without us. I feel like that led to a lot of opportunities as, as a kid. You know, they, my dad drove us out to Colorado, me and my sister, just because he wanted to take a trip with us. And then my mom flew out and she was there. This is actually at a time when my parents were separated. They had, they had been separated for like a year at that point. And it was kind of like a really cool story because they ended up being separated and then they got back together, which kind of normally doesn't really happen. You know, when you're a kid and you find out your parents are getting a divorce, it's kind of it's what's devastating. I mean, it was devastating for me. And then about a year and a half later, maybe, maybe two years, you know, they had a reconciliation. So, you know, that's the thing when you're like a little kid, I think I was like 11 or 12. You know, it's like the worst thing that can happen. And then you always like hoping and praying your parents get back together and then they actually do. So it's kind of amazing, you know, and, uh, yeah, and then they, you know, they they stayed together together ever since. And then, like I said, my dad passed away two years ago. And uh, you know, so I don't mean to get like sad or anything, but yeah, we we just did a lot as a family. Like they took us to they took us to England when we were young. So you know, again, thing you know, they wanted to go to London. They made sure we were there. So we did a lot of trips, drove to Canada. So I mean, we we were always like really involved, and they always wanted to like do stuff with us, which was really really cool. How do you feel you really benefited from a Catholic education and what were the drawbacks? Well, it's hard because now I'm not, I'm not Catholic. I'm like basic, I'm an atheist now. So (laughs) 
it's kind of a weird question. Um, as far as the good things, I think structure was a good thing for me as a child. Having some structure was really helpful. I uh, only because I know my mom put me in a Montessori uh, nursery school. And I had a really hard time with that because it's very flexible for children. Like they kind of like let the kids kind of do what they want to do. And that was really difficult for me. So, so when I got to kindergarten and I was in the Catholic school kindergarten, that really helped because they told you what to do when, when to go here, when we had played, like it was all very structured. And as a child, I think for me, that helped me a lot. That was part of, I, I needed people to tell me what to do when I was younger. Uh, so I think that was definitely an, uh, an added benefit, like knowing the rules, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Not that I was way out of line or anything, not like I was like, you know, somebody who needed a lot of discipline or anything, but I needed to kind of know what I was supposed to do. That, that provided me with like a sense of security, I think. I do think though, the things that when like with lat, like what I missed out on, because they don't have as many uh, resources as f and funding, like I feel like there's a lot of like things that are missing, like a, a, an arts program, like a true arts program, anything that wasn't necessarily like the basics, you know, anything that they deemed extra. So, and then of course, you know, they place, replace that with religion. So I guess. <laughs> I guess there could have been time for it, but it doesn't yeah. align. It doesn't align with their core. Did you begin performing as a child? I sort of got forced into performing in school. I was very, very shy and very weird. I was a, basically a very weird, shy kid. I talked to myself a lot and I got bullied for that a lot. Like people would like not talk to me because I was busy talking to myself. <laughs> and like I they would do these like shows and um, somebody, for some reason, they assigned me a song, which I have no clue why somebody thought that, that, that me as, as the kid that I was, would, it would make sense to give me a song to sing by myself on stage. But for some reason I worked, like I didn't want to go up there and be bad. Like I, if I knew, I knew that if I had to do this, I was going to be good at it. So I, I would sit in my room and like practice and practice and practice. And then when I got up on stage and I sang, I think people were really surprised that I could sing. And then it kind of took off from there. My first show I was in at Drexel University, they needed kids and uh, I auditioned and I was a law, I played a lost boy in Peter Pan. And that was like my first time performing on stage in front of people that were not like classmates or like parents. So, and from then on, it just, yeah, I was pretty much hooked. <laughs> I wonder if you felt as I did because I played Kurt in The Sound of Music when I was in sixth grade. Oh, okay. I thought it was just really cool being around older people. I mean, transformative in a way. It was, yes, yes. I think that, you know, that's really interesting Did you point that out because I, I you know, being a, a kid, like maybe like a, like 12, uh, I think at the time, I think I turned 12 during that show and um, being around like college students was so crazy because they were, I guess too, the way they treated you, like they were sort of like thought we were cute, like kid wise, but yet you were also treated 
like a cast member and like an adult with a job to do with things you were responsible for and you kind of they were counting on you you know you were a part of like this team that you don't ever really get to be a part of with varying levels of of ages it is really empowering for a young person i think to feel like wow i'm i'm a legitimate part of this group of people and it doesn't matter that i am a kid i still have like this role to play otherwise this isn't going to work yeah that's i remember when our our last show i was like devastated <laughs> could not stop crying my heart was broken into pieces it was like the high like one of the highest moments of my young adult in my young life and then like just utter <laughs> heartbreak <laughs> a lot of people assume performers are extroverts are you an introvert or an extrovert at the end of the day at the end of the day i consider myself an introvert but i'm really good at pretending to be an extrovert i've gotten really good at it and i think that comes from being like just a weirdo kid i was always quiet shy and i think you know you try to get better at being outgoing and then being on stage too people are always like oh well you're on stage you're a performer i'm like yeah, i am but it's it's a different thing it's like a different thing than being myself and like trying to like make conversation with people like at like a dinner party or like small talk i'm not really good and then i do find that if i'm in a big environment with a lot of people i do find that draining like i feel like i'm on i have to be on and then when it, when it's over i'm like okay i can go back and sit in my house or like on my couch and like just be with me and my cats my dog right yeah yeah <laughs> you know when you were graduating from high school what were your goals when i was graduating from high school i wanted to be a i wanted to be an actor a theater actor was my goal pretty much that was it and so I went to college for theater. Like I just wanted to be an actor. And where did you end up going to college? The Sales University. So yes, Catholic college, lo and behold, went to the theater program there. And um, I think I had these ideas that I was going to be like a, a big fish in a small pond because it was a state school in Pennsylvania. And I had auditioned for Carnegie Mellon and I had auditioned for NYU and I didn't get in either of those schools. I think, you know, like be, coming from high school and it was like the lead in a lot of the shows thinking I must, you know, okay, so I can't get into New York, but this is, I, I should be fine. Well, it was like a real eye opener because all of these people were super talented and <laughs> it took me a year. I didn't get into a show on the main stage until the last show of my sophomore year, but one of the great things about the school is that um, you're constantly training. So there were other students who were directing scenes for, for classes or directing one acts. And then you were always rehearsing for your acting classes too. So, but I was cast in a lot of one acts and I was cast in a lot of scenes that other students were directing that were put up, you, you know, to, as a performance for their class. And then it was great because the other acting teachers got to see my work. Can you give me a rundown of the creative projects you're involved in? 
I feel like I'm, I'm always, I've always, I'm always doing something. So the last few years, particularly, I've been working on a, a series uh, we called Certifiable. Um, and that's a, a short format web series. So our episodes are about nine minutes long. And that's comedy. And I was, a, I'm a creator on that. And I'm a producer. And I'm also acting in that. The other big thing that I was working on this past, really like this past couple of years, is a, a feature length film called Last Known Location that I wrote. And we ended up shooting all of it over the last year, uh, just in different chunks of time. And it was really at the height of the pandemic that we had to, that we had the time to do this. So that was very crazy. And then I, I'm, I've also did a, uh, a short film called Something Borrowed. And that was something that, uh, that I wrote. And um, I shot in different, kind of like different segments. That kind of took me a few years to, to get together. But my, uh, my significant other is an actor, but he's a videographer too. So he ended up shooting and directing both Something Borrowed and Last Known Location. And he is currently shooting Certifiable. His name is Danny Donnelly. He's uh, he is shooting and co-directing Certifiable for us. So that those are like the three main things that I have going on right now. Let's listen to a quick clip from the first season of Certifiable. Don't lie to her, Fernando. It's not great. It looks like something my dog crapped out. It's abstract art, Lex. Besides, you don't even have a dog. You know how much I want a dog. Do you know how bad that makes me feel when you say things like that? You just called my hard work a big piece of poo. Well, it is. Well, you are, Lex. So this show, without any spoilers, is about the main characters living in a reality that only exists in their own minds. Yeah. So we call yeah. it, we, are, we always say that it's, it's two women who wish they were as famous as they think they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very much, you know, and it pokes fun of just the kind of like the Instagrammer culture and like influencers and just, we know a lot of people who kind of just really would like to be famous for whatever reason. Like, I don't necessarily know if they have any big art to share or really something meaningful to share but they would just they just want to share themselves which i guess is cool but you know it is just pokes fun at some of the superficial things in the world right now <laughs> right right there were some specific location needs to support the plot of certifiable how did you go about securing locations for that series just looking for locations in general is so hard you have to uh, basically we ended up asking for favors from people that were either in in the show already some of the locations that we used for season one the building that we used that was like a medical facility that was actually a very an, a school and somebody's acting class was using that school so we had like a contact and we're able so we were able to rent the school through that contact but i, I dealt with that man and, and he was a character he was, he was a character. Uh, the one day when we were shooting, that the problem is too, is he was renting out other spaces in the school at the same time as we, when we were shooting there. And we didn't really know this until we got there. And the one day they had a choir practicing in like another area of the school. 
and you know, you're rolling sound, everything's got to be quiet. So we had to kind of find a way to, to work that choir into the scene. So I think some, one of the characters like pokes his head in and is like, oh, this, the choir, she sounds, it sounds great. But you know, it's just like, you never know what you're going to get. I should add that that's a mental hospital. So it's clearly the mental hospital choir. It's the mental hospital. Yes. Yes. How'd they sound? They actually sounded really good. (laughs) (laughs) They sounded great. So that was one. And then, you know, there's resources out there for filmmakers um, called, there's a location hub in Philadelphia. We have the Philadelphia Film Office, um, film.org, and there's locations on there too. So it's just like asking people. Sometimes you just, just asking. And sometimes people are open to it and sometimes they are not. Who are your regular collaborators? You work with people you can regularly count on? I do, yes. Um, there's a group of us that, um, you know, have been working together for a few years. Uh, we just, we just, oh, thank you. Some people just brought me coffee. Danny nice. just brought me coffee. Right <laughs> on. So, Dan, uh, Danny is uh, my significant other. And he's obviously somebody I work with always. We, we're always... We're always like working on things together, our own stuff. And he works with, so he's a videographer and he does wedding videos. So his partner with the wedding videos is also one of our cinematographers that we use frequently on any project we're doing. And uh, Jen Kay is the woman who's in Certifiable with me. She's a frequent collaborator. And a bunch of the people who are in Certifiable are also in many of the other things that we are working on, like my film for Last Known Location. A bunch of the people who are in Certifiable are also in that film. A few years ago, we did a film called The Arrangement, and that had uh, Eric Roberts in it. And that was a pretty big deal for us. Pretty much the same group of people. And there's like newer people that come in too. Like we're always kind of like finding new talent and just realizing that other people have a great skill set or like a real passion because we're all very passionate people and we're all people who have like, we're all artists and we're all creatives at heart, but a lot of us have, you know, we all have jobs that, you know, we have to kind of fuel the creative endeavors. (laughs) You've worked in comedy with your short and your show. What about comedy comes easily to you and what do you have to really dig deep into to make work? I feel like comedy is... I'm willing to have a lot of fun when it comes to comedy. Like I'm really willing to just go there, like whatever we have to do. And it's, I feel like there's a lot of room to kind of play around. You could be a little bit more um, loose maybe with like letting like things come up like improv wise. I do think though, it's really, I think comedy though is very hard. So the timing has to be right. Yeah, the improv, it's great to do it but you know not everything lands not everything is funny and sometimes I think people can get caught up in you know that the improv part of it and it just ends up taking longer and sometimes I'm not great at improv I admit it I'm not real fast on my feet so I find that to be tricky I do I really like doing comedy though because I do feel like it's it's just fun I feel like it's fun I feel like a lot of people are willing to play and it's a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess as an extension of that, regardless of genre, what does acting require of you physically? 
I feel like acting requires you to be re- be vulnerable. I think that's probably the biggest requirement. You have to let go of like your ego, let go of um, self-consciousness, you know? I mean, it, it, you just kind of have to be willing to, to go there, to, to be in a moment with somebody because it's about like reacting to another person or, or a situation and trying to be, trying to articulate somebody else like in the most truthful way possible, I think. So I think a lot of it is you just have to be, be willing to, to, to do that. Um, I think there's, I see some people who are uh, like either just, if you're just starting out or maybe you're not taking an an acting class or whatever, there's a lot of like self-conscious things that you have to kind of get rid of, I guess. Like be willing to have people laugh at you, you know, be willing to have people not like your character, I guess just be be open and how does it feel when you know you've just nailed it as an actor that's hard because i don't really feel like i ever get there now (laughs) (laughs) um there's definitely times like so it's hard it's interesting because it's always you know when you're doing film there's always multiple you're doing multiple takes so you're doing same scene you have different angles so you're doing the same thing over and over again but you can definitely tell when you feel it, when you feel it and you can know that I hope that last take looks as good as it feels because it felt like I felt like I was really in it. I think when you feel like you're really in it, it like, that's a re- it feels really good, but it, it, it's also hard because then you'll, you'll end up doing another one and maybe the next one, oh, I feel like that one wasn't as good. Oh, and, and there's also times where I can I can go and do something. And then I'm like, we need to do another one. That was terrible. Like, I just know, I'm like, I don't think you can, that was bad. Can we do another one? You know? Do you like seeing yourself on film? Not at all. I don't like seeing myself. I would much rather be a theater actor. (laughs) I could just get up and uh, when you nail it in theater, you know, it's kind of nice because you can hear it. You can get that uh, instant uh, feedback from the audience. So that, I feel like being on stage is like the ultimate high. You know, you, you, you're, you're there, they're there. You can, you can tell if they're in it with you, but uh, I don't really like watching myself that, that much, but there's always things like there's times where I've gotten, I've gotten better though, Chris, cause now I can like sit back and sometimes I can sit back and go, Oh yeah, I, I believe me. I, I believe that. I'm like, okay. I, I think, I think this is okay. I think I'm pretty good in this. Like, you know, but it's, it's hard to watch yourself. You also write and produce. Why did you decide in particular to begin to feed your projects as a writer? <sighs> writing. It's, it's interesting you say, right, you talk about writing because I am an actor first and I became a writer because um, as a female actor in independent film, at least this my experience, there is not a lot of really great parts or interesting storylines that I was getting like called in for. So 
uh, I think like a lot of like mom roles or girlfriend roles or wife roles and kind of like just that's the way it is supporting like the lead main character. And there's a lot of fascination with um, like mob movies in independent film. Nothing wrong with mob movies. That's great. But there's a lot of them. And there's always a huge cast list with like one woman. <laughs> like part so i i basically became a writer because i wanted to write stories with more women in them <laughs> so i did <laughs> and then certifiable too like that also came out of something too jen and i were talking about movies and writing and we had uh, we actually had a couple other people involved at this time too and certifiable was originally just supposed to be a short film and we just came up with ideas like what well, it was a lot of like well what if what if what if and then we brainstormed and she wrote the first episode which was supposed to be a short film and we ended up never shooting it because something fell through with a location so we didn't shoot it and then she took that and she wrote the rest of the show but it, it was really that and it, me when I wrote last known location and, it's and, and something borrowed. Both of those actually have three main female characters. I just wanted to have more parts for women because in, in Last Known Location, there's three female leads. The main detective is a female. Pretty much any role that I could make a woman, I made a woman. And it's really only because there just wasn't as much opportunities. If you go into a casting call for something, like there's usually so few parts for women, but most of the people there at the audition are women. Like, I don't know if it's just a thing. There's just more women in arts. There's more women who want to be actors than men. But it just felt like to me, I'm like, God, there's like 50 women here. And I'm like, and we're all going for this one part. I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> so when it comes to writing female characters, I think a lot of writers have a hard time avoiding the regular tropes that have been perpetuated by predominantly male writers, but some female ones as well. Yeah. And I guess as a writer myself, I'd be interested to know what mindset or process you adopt to write interesting and complex female characters. I don't even know, I'm not 100% sure if I'm, I'm successful at it either, but for, for Last Known Location, I wrote my characters first. I wrote character descriptions. Like I knew who these women were. There were, you know, I had paragraph on Callie, then my three main characters are Callie, Danae, and Marley. And I wrote full character descriptions. So I really know who they, I knew who they were. Now, I think possibly like all of them have a little bit of me in them, like maybe different sides of myself. I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I, I wrote, I really knew who they were. I could see them. I had, I had clear pictures in my head of, and I actually used actors that I know who are friends of mine. I could picture that person. And I ended up not casting any of the people I used as like the basis for my characters, just for whatever reason. And I wrote out these really like, like who they were, what kind of things they liked to do. And then I used that to influence my dialogue. Like, so that I, I felt it helped me have like a more clear voice for each person because I saw so clearly like who they were outside of the story. 
With the amount of energy that you put into your work, do you ever have doubts about keeping on, keeping on? Oh yeah, I think so. I do. You know, I think that's something that yeah, I'll always struggle with, you know, the doubting if I, uh, you know, why, why am I doing this? Yeah. What's the point? But then at the same time, I don't know if I could stop. <laughs> like, I think there's uh, something that'll just drive me. That'll just keep drive. It'll just drive me to just keep doing it. Uh, I, I don't know why. I remember thinking, like, sometimes I look at other people and, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm always like, you don't secretly want to be an actor. Like, like, that's not secretly in your head. And I really wonder what that's like, because I don't, I don't quite know what it would be like to like, not have this, have, have this desire to do this. Um, you know, I don't know. Why do you think it's important for independent television and film to be part of our culture? I think there's like a, a lot of um, really cool ideas out there and really talented people and really passionate people who I think are telling some pretty neat stories that I think it, it's important for other people to see that. Just had to realize that there's there's so much creativity out there and passionate people and they're willing to put time and energy into something. There's so much creativity and there's so many like you, people are just doing things like I feel like they're 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 figuring it out as they go. But it I think it can lead to bigger things. Everybody that you see in a bigger show or a movie was at some point doing community theater or sitting somewhere with a camcorder and making videos. We all are starting somewhere. I want to thank Amy Teresa for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed listening. Our podcast is produced by Eclectic River Daydream. You've heard from us, and now we want to hear from you. Leave us feedback on our website at www.storypod.us or on Facebook at American Storyteller. Until the next time you hear from me, I'm Chris Gerboth, and this is American Storyteller. American Storyteller.